thankful for that. Uh, tonight, you can see on our overhead, on the PowerPoint, the topic is the wrath of God. When's the last time you thought about that? <laughs> Say it again. Yeah. Uh, but, it, it, you know, we think about that. My goodness. Uh, what come, what come, did anything come to your mind when you think about the wrath of God? Anything at all? Oh, why you say that, Dan? Pretty, pretty well demonstrated, didn't it? And uh, you know, you, you think, and, and Dan, I like, you know, I never really thought about that in that way. But isn't it interesting how Abraham said, "Lord, if you, you know, if you, if you only find five righteous people," and God agreed, but He didn't. Of course, His wrath was poured out, and certainly the wrath of God. Uh, I, well, one of one of the writers I was reading after said that there are a lot of Christians who look at the wrath of God as something they might ought to apologize for. Now, and I, and I, I can see that, can't you? Because normally we think of God, what do we think of? His love, His goodness, His kindness. And God is all that. But we also know that God is indeed a God of wrath. There may be, I'm, I'm certainly, I uh, don't know about Christians, well, I, I think we would agree that uh, we would even at times hope there wasn't such a thing as wrath of the wrath of God, uh, but there is. Now, I will admit, the longer I've been saved, the more I pray for the lost, because I don't want anyone to experience the wrath of God. We can't imagine how awful that would be, but we, it is certainly, uh, certainly there. And it's interesting. Um, let me ask a question. Is the wrath of God, is that a blemish on God's character? Man, you're all quick to say no. I, mean, I appreciate that. Why do you say that? He's a righteous God. He's a perfect God, right? Exactly right. But it doesn't affect his character. No, it, it, it's not a bad spot, you know. It's a, it is a good thing. And, it, and we have to see God's wrath just that way. And the danger is, that you know, our, our, we need to guard ourselves of not allowing resentment to, to grow in our lives when we hear about the wrath of God. Because it, it is part of the very nature of of God. Now, also understand, how would you describe the severity of God's wrath? Say what? Yeah. I mean, we we can't imagine. It, it is fatal, right? It, it is. Um, yeah. In fact, Yeah, that's true. That's true, Wayne. It, it, that is certainly true. And certainly a lot would try to turn away from a vision of God's wrath. Uh, but again, it is not a blotch in his character. It's not something wrong with God. Now, it's interesting, and I don't know if you've had it happen. I've had people tell me, how could a, a good God send people to hell, right? Well, the fact is God didn't send anybody to hell. Isn't that true? Yeah, they send themselves, they choose themselves. God gives them a way out. But they still can't believe that God would let anybody, you know, suffer the wrath of God. So people have a different opinions on the wrath of God. But I, I'm convinced you'll agree with me that the main thing is we need to ask, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say about the wrath of God? Now, one thing you're going to find out tonight you probably already knew this. Well, let me ask you this question. That'll help us kind of get started here. Do you think God tries to hide his wrath? No. He never once tries to conceal his uh, wrath. God's not ashamed of his wrath. He's not ashamed to make it known. 
And uh, it's just part of who God is. Look what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 39 through 41. Anybody got that? What is God saying there? Yeah. And he'll do basically what? What he desires. Now, I like what he says at the beginning. He says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. Uh, during the years when we had a remodeling business, I would tell my customer, I never like to work alone because that way I can blame somebody else if something's wrong. Now, I think what God is saying here, if we're going to try to blame somebody else for what God does, guess what? There's nobody else. He says, I am He. There is no God with me. So if you want to try to blame God's wrath on somebody, you've got to blame it on who? On God, right? Now, again, not, not that we should do that, because it's certainly not a blemish in His Character. Now, I didn't actually go through and count them. Uh, how many have a uh, a hard copy of a, co- a concordance? Anybody got one of those? In a, you got three a year? We use them anymore? Okay. Now, I, reason I'm asking that, I I can't read the print the print in them anymore. If you got a good one, because they got lots of words in them. Now, I'm thankful for my uh, word processor, my Bible program, because I can click any word I want. That's in the Bible. It'll tell me where it's used, how often it's used, whatever. I can even narrow it down to a chapter or a book. Uh, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it on this necessarily this word study. But one theologian says if you study this, uh, the scriptures and you study, uh, use some kind of a concordance, whether it be a computer or a book, doesn't matter. They said you'll find more verses referring to God's anger, His fury, and wrath then there are verses on his love and tenderness. Now, again, I didn't count on myself, and this guy's pretty reliable, and I don't think he's wrong, uh, because it's an awful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Isn't that true? And I, I don't want anyone to do that. So it's interesting, and Phyllis, you already kind of made an allusion to this a minute ago, uh, the fact that God has to be a wrathful God because he's a holy God. And we've forgotten, I think, sometimes, or we don't take it as serious, God hates sin. Isn't that true? He absolutely hates sin. And by which sin does he hate? All sin, okay? And because he hates all sin, his anger is going to burn against those who continue in sin. His wrath is going to be poured out. Psalm 7, verse 11. How often, Wayne? Every day he's angry with the wicked. So let me stop here for a minute. Does that mean God's not fair? No. Does it mean he's not holy? No. We know he's righteous, okay? Absolutely. It has to be this way because there is no defect in the character of God. But if he was not a God of wrath, there would be a defect. It would not be right for God not to have wrath. So, a lot of times we we may tend to be indifferent towards sin, but is God indifferent toward it? No. That would be a moral blemish, but God is not indifferent to sin. And so, again, we know that God is perfect. He's the sum of all excellency. And uh, so... Uh, Certainly God is satisfied with virtue, but he also is dissatisfied with vice. As much as he loves one, guess what? He hates the other. He despises the other. 
God is satisfied with wisdom, but he hates folly. Romans 11, verse 22. Anybody want to read that one? Thank you, Dan. Now, in the context, uh, Paul is referring to how that the Gentiles were grafted in to the family of God, and the Gentiles were cut off. And uh, Paul talks about how severe God was in that judgment. And he says, now remember, as much as God is good on one hand, how's he on the other? He's severe. And, and Paul is, is giving a warning here. And it's interesting uh, there's no way that the God who is infinitely holy, and he is, there's no way he can disregard sin and refuse not to manifest his severity toward it. Because God is indeed a holy, holy, holy God. Now, also understand what's going on here. This is a God who delights in what is pure. He delights in what is lovely. But he also is a God who hates that which is not pure and that which is vile. God hates those things. Now, it's not in our scripture verses tonight. I didn't pull that verse out. Uh, but you remember during the time of the Passover uh, when Jesus went into the temple and he saw him uh, cheating people by selling things at higher prices. What did he do? Oh, so he didn't go and say, please, fellow, stop this? No, he was angry. Yeah, exactly. He was angry. Now, again, I think that's just a mild version of, uh, a version of what the wrath of God can really do. But God can be an angry God. And so the, 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 the very nature of God uh, makes hell uh, as real uh, and necessarily uh, important as heaven is. And as sure as there's a heaven, there's also a what? There's a hell. We've got the goodness of God and the wrath of God. So, think about God. Is he ever less than perfect? No. Is he ever less than holy? No. He simply cannot be. So, when we think about the wrath of God, and how long has God been around? Forever. Okay, no has no beginning, no end. And we think about the wrath of God. We have to understand that he has eternally detested everything that is not righteous. And God will not tolerate that. God is against all evil. And so... Whenever we see God's wrath being stirred up, it's really because God is angry against sin and the holiness of God is stirred into activity against that sin. Now, by the way, I'm glad that God is God and not me or not you. Uh, one example that came to my mind just a moment ago, you remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? And the prophet came to David. He said, David, let me tell you this story. Let me tell you what happened. This fella came to town. And this guy who had plenty of animals stole his only lamb. And David became angry. What did he say about that guy? He's going to die. And what did the prophet say? Ah, you're that man. But you're not going to die, David. I bet David was glad he wasn't God at that time, right? Because had it been up to him, that man would have died. So understand, folks, God's wrath is poured out because his holiness is stirred against sin, if you will. And that's the reason that there has to be justice done. Wrath must be poured out. And God pours it out on those who continue to be in rebellion against him.
Now, one of the reasons God is angry against sin, because sin is exactly that, it's rebellion against God. And that's, that's really all it is. And it really, when people sin, uh, we are challenging God's sovereignty, which can't be challenged, by the way. And so God is uh, angry. Now, it's interesting, uh, reading just the other day uh, through a little bit of Exodus, and the first time that Moses goes to Pharaoh, Moses says in so many words, our God has told us to go out and to worship him. Remember what Pharaoh said? Say it again, Phyllis. Who is your God? Do you think by the end of the time, Pharaoh knew? Yeah, he got it. Because God poured his wrath out on Pharaoh because Pharaoh rebelled against the Lord. And so, again, those who rise up against God, against his sovereignty, against God's government, uh, God is going to let them know one day. They're going to realize one of these days that God is the Lord. It may be too late, but they are going to know. Nebuchadnezzar was one who thought he was one charge, right? Remember that? For seven years, he lived like a wild animal. But at the end of that seven years, God gave his mind back and his kingdom. And what did Nebuchadnezzar say? God is God. Not me. God is in control. Now, understand, God, and this is a very important principle, folks, God will vindicate his dominion as the supreme of the universe. But God is never vindictive. Think about that. He will vindicate his dominion as the ruler of the universe, but God will never be vindictive. What he does is to protect his honor. That's why God does what he does. Now, we've shared quite a few verses already uh, that show us from the, from the Bible that God's divine wrath is so, one of the perfections of God. But also notice what uh, some of the declarations made from the Word of God. Romans 1, verse 18. Amen. Now, I think you'll agree with me. I am shocked at what's going on in our world today. The things that people claim they believe. And Paul tells us that God's wrath is revealed from heaven. And God has wrath toward all ungodliness and all unrighteous for all of those who try to suppress the truth. Are we living in a time when people are trying to suppress the truth? Yes. It is. Now, keep in mind, God has always revealed His wrath to those who try to suppress the truth. And in fact, I believe we can trace it back to the Garden of Eden. Isn't that true? With Adam and Eve. And, and because of that, of what they did, there was a sentence of death, was pronounced. The earth was cursed. And God drove man out of paradise. Now, by the way, for those who have, maybe didn't catch that part of it, when you read through Genesis, that was also an act of grace. Because God did not want them to get to the tree of life. Because had they gotten the tree of life, they'd have never died. At least that's the implication. But God drove them out of paradise. And then you get to Romans chapter 6. I'm sorry, Romans. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And God said that man was only evil continually. Was God pleased with that? So what did he do? He sent a flood. Oh, did I say Deuteronomy? Oh, excuse me. Thank you, Jason. Genesis. Genesis 6, all right? Yeah, Genesis 6. Thank you, Jason. 
Come on, folks, you got to call me out here once in a while. I know I'm next to perfect, but not quite there yet, all right? But I'm kidding about that, folks, really. But yeah, in Genesis chapter 6, it got so bad. And by the way, other than Noah and his family, who was saved? No one. Is that the wrath of God being displayed? Yes. So we saw it in the garden. We saw it in Genesis chapter 6. I'll get it right this time. Uh, Dan, you mentioned a moment ago, Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain. Well, who did God destroy there? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yes. He's not, God has not vindictive. He didn't have, it's not a cold and heartless wrath. He warned the people. Uh, you know, he, he did. And even, uh, I almost said Job, Lot. You know, tried to warn his sons-in-law. Of course, the problem was Lot. He lived a lukewarm life, and they just laughed at him. Uh, and what happened to his wife when he turned around and looked? Yeah. So we see God's wrath there. But again, like you said, Marvin, it's not a cold, heartless wrath. Now, now, also understand this, folks. Yes, wrath is part of God's character. But how many know that God would rather forgive than pour his wrath out? Isn't that true? He would rather forgive. Because that's just who God is. And so we saw it in the garden. We saw it in Genesis 6 with the flood. We saw the destruction of the cities of the plain, Psalm Gomorrah, and with fire from heaven. But also understand, from the time Adam sinned, death has reigned throughout the whole world. So again, that's part of God's wrath against sin. God hates sin. So it's interesting. Uh, it was proclaimed by the curse of the law on every sin. Um, and every sacrifice certainly uh, pointed toward that sin. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. What's creation doing? Yeah, Wayne? Yeah. You know, it's interesting, folks. Somehow, God has instilled in us things are not the way they should be. How many know that God created us for something better? And uh, Paul is referring to the fact in Romans 8.22 that all of creation has become subject to vanity. And because of that, creation literally groans and travails together in pain. Now think about that, okay? But as that creation groans, and Paul said, not only it, but so, so do we. And I, I have to tell you folks, God has been so good to me. But I'm glad there's better to come. There's a better life coming. But this, this creation that groans and travails together, it also proclaims the glory of God. It testifies of the glory of God. And it reminds us that God is the enemy of sin and God will avenge the crimes of men and God does hold men accountable. But to me, and I think you'll agree, and most scholars agree, above everything else, the wrath of God from heaven was revealed the day that Jesus Christ was crucified. Think about that. The very Son of God came to our world to manifest the divine character and that wrath was displayed in His suffering and His death and I think it was displayed in a greater extent than any of the other examples we studied about in the Scriptures. The wrath of God 
for sin poured out on who? On Jesus Christ. And he did it for us. But also we have to understand there's a future of eternal punishment of the wicked. And it's interesting, we see it very so much clearer under the New Covenant than we did under the Old Testament because the bottom line is this. God has revealed from heaven two things. One is the wrath of God and the other is the grace of God. Now remember, well, read, let's go to Psalm 95 verse 11. By the way, the writer of Hebrews uh, quotes this psalm. Uh, but nonetheless, we're talking about God's wrath here and showing from the Scriptures that it's certainly uh, part of God's divine perfection. And uh, so we see God swearing, if you will, two occasions. And one, he's making promises. And in declaring or denouncing, uh, giving out threats. Genesis 22, verse 16. Okay, we're not going to read the rest of it, but thank you, Dan. We're talking about Abraham here. And God says in verse 16 of chapter 22 of Genesis, I have... By myself have I sworn. So because Abraham was obedient, God is about, if you will, to promise in his, in his, to make an oath of swearing, to promise, if you will, good things for Abraham. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 34 and 35. All right, thank you. Now, we know the Jews rebelled. The Israelites rebelled there during that travel. And it's interesting, when God made a promise to Abraham, uh, he said, I have sworn by myself. And that was a, a good thing, a promise for Abraham. And then in Deuteronomy, speaking about the rebellious Jews, uh, God says he swore, if you will, saying that not one of these are going to enter into the land of promise. So my question is, uh, this is before it happened, how many of those entered in? Why not, Dan? Did he mean what he said? Absolutely. That is the wrath of God. So we see in Abraham's example, he swears in mercy to his children. In the other example, he swears to terrify the children because you're not going to go in. So, uh, you know, we know that uh, an oath is a very solemn uh, confirmation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 gives an example. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews tells us that certainly an oath is a solemn uh, confirmation, and if handled correctly, it can, it can stop the strife. And here's how it's got to be, and, you know, this is what it is. So we read earlier uh, in Genesis 22, talking about Abraham and Isaac, uh, God said, by myself have I sworn. All right? Now, by the way, why would God swear by himself? <laughs> Amen. No greater where to go. He's the highest, right? Now, go to Psalm uh, 89, verse 35. Amen. So he swore by himself, Genesis 22, 6. In Psalm 89, 35, he swore by his holiness. Psalm 95, 11. So what's he swearing in there? 
in his wrath. So we, we see him swearing by himself. And no, other, no higher entity to go to. He swore by his holiness. And now he said in Psalm 95.11, in that case, I swear in my wrath. Again, talking about the children of Israel, they're not going to enter into my rest. So we see three different ways he swears. Which one is more solid? Uh, they're all the same. Don't miss that. God is so great in himself. He appeals to his wrath. And part of his divine perfection, and that is equal to his holiness, and equal to himself, and one does not exceed the other. Because God is divine. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Now we'll be talking about Jesus Christ here. Okay. In him is Christ. And Paul says, dwells in Christ that all the fullness of God had dwells in him bodily. Now folks, don't miss that, okay? Why would Paul say that? Give me it in, in, a, in a nutshell. What, what's he talking about? Jesus is God. Thank you. He is God. There is no question about it. John 1.18. Okay, nobody's seen God. But the Bible says Jesus came to do what? To declare God. Don't miss that. Revelation uh Chapter 6, verse 16. The wrath of who, Dan? Who's the lamb? More particular, yeah. Yeah, you're right, but yeah, yeah, exactly. The lamb of God. So again, in Christ, Paul said, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Christ came to declare God. So that means all the divine perfection of God, Jesus declared while he was here. And that's why in Revelation 6 verse 16, we read about the wrath of the Lamb. Because Jesus was God. He declared everything about God. And he too is part and shares in that divine nature of the wrath of God. So why in the world would we want to think about that? Well, first of all, I, I think you'll agree, I'm glad I'm saved. And as much as it still breaks my heart to know that Jesus took my place, I'm glad that he did. Because there's no way I could save myself. So what are some reasons to meditate to consider the wrath of God? Well, number one, I think first of all, that our hearts can better understand how much God hates sin. Now remember, to deal with sin, what did he do? He died. That's how much God hates sin. Now, I think even as Christians a lot of times, we tend to regard sin lightly. We try to gloss it over uh, there's time we try to make excuses for it. But what does God say about it? <laughs> he hates it. He absolutely hates it. But the more we consider uh, how much God hates sin, and the more we understand uh, the awful wrath that awaits for sinners, the more we're to realize, likely to realize, how awful sin really is. So we need to consider God's wrath, if nothing else, for that reason. But a second reason, and this kind of goes along with it, I think, is to have a true fear in our souls for God. Now, keep in mind, I believe we're living in a culture where we don't reverence God the way we should. 
But that also includes a holy fear. I was, uh, you know, reading again, I think, yesterday today. And uh, I, I was this, this, right now I'm reading through the New Living Translation, uh, talking about the bells that the priests were to put on their garments. And the New Living Translation says that they might tinkle when you go in so that God doesn't kill you. So how do you think that high priest felt? Say it again. Yeah. Who wouldn't be? Because you're thinking what? If I don't do everything just right. Yeah, I might go in, but they got to drag me out of there. And so there has to be a holy fear for God. And so that's another reason we need to uh, consider the wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29. Okay, now make sure we understand what's going on here. Make sure we serve God in the right way with reverence and a godly fear. So the writer of Hebrews separates the two. We've got to have reverence and a godly fear. Now my question is, who is the writer of Hebrews writing to? Christians or the unsaved? To Christians. To believers. And understand, we will never... Serve God in the right way unless we have the proper reverence for his awful majesty and a godly fear of his righteous anger. Don't miss that, folks. Don't miss that. And the best way, in fact, the writer of Hebrews says, one thing you need to remember, our God is a consuming fire. Amen? Yeah. That's the best way to keep things in the right perspective. So number one reason why to think about God's wrath? To make sure we understand how much God loathes sin. Number two, to produce a true fear in our souls for God. Number three is to draw out of our lives fervent praise because God delivered us from the wrath to come. How many can say amen? Yeah. First uh, Thessalonians chapter one verse ten. What's that telling us, Dan? Indeed, but what, the best thing Jesus did, He delivered us from the wrath to come. Now don't miss that. We've been preaching a little, a little bit about heaven on Sunday nights recently. And uh, we talked some weeks ago about the day of the Lord, how it's used in the scripture. And for the most part, when you read the day of the Lord, it's an awful day. Because it's the day when those who are without God are going to answer for their, their sins. But for you and I, God through Christ has delivered us from that wrath to come. So it's interesting uh, it's important to understand how we have to have a readiness to at least begin to grasp a little bit about the wrath of God because as we, as we think about that, it'll be a true test, if you will, of how our hearts are leaning whether toward God or against God. Now, certainly God loves us. Thank God for that. He, through Christ, he delivered us. But you have to understand God is a consuming fire. So, a question I want to ask tonight. Do we have any reasons to rejoice in God? Yeah, more than we can count. And if we don't truly rejoice in God for what he is in himself, we're missing the mark. And being a wrathful God is part of who 
God is. And so we have to be very careful, even as Christians, to guard ourselves. In fact, to be prayerfully on guard against devising a God in our own minds. A God that is not scriptural. A God that we kind of form and fashion like we want Him to be. Go to Psalm 50, verse 21. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, uh, when I was going through this, I underlined part of that verse in my notes. And God's complaining. Okay, there's no doubt about it. He said, the problem for a long time, I kept quiet. Because your problem was, he says, you thought that I acted like you do. You thought that I was just like you. Uh, you thought that I responded like yourself. But God says, I'm about to... St- I'm about to set the record straight. Now, what does that tell us about God? Hey, man, Dad, he is not like us. Does he think like us? No. And God said, that's a mistake you made. And I'm, I'm just about ready to show you what's really true. Psalm 97, verse 12. If we don't rejoice at the remembrance of His holiness, if we don't rejoice to know that one of these days God is going to make a glorious display of His wrath, and guess what's going to happen? Every knee's going, to, every eye's going to see it. In fact, in the book of Revelation, men are going to cry, "What? That the rocks would fall on us? Do what? To hide us from the face from the wrath of the Lamb of God?" So, without a doubt. Those who are in that condition, it's proof that their hearts were not in subjective to, the, to him. They were still in their sins. Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Okay, thank you, Dan. Now, I think you'll agree we are blessed to live in America. As many faults as we have. And for the most part, people leave us alone. But how many know that through the years, and even today across many places in our world, Christians have a hard time existing? They're treated awful. And we know it's been true of the Jews for the years. But God tells Israel, you can rejoice. You can rejoice because you need to know something. God is not going to let them get by with what they're doing to you. God is going to bring vengeance on those who oppose him. Revelation 19, the first three verses. All right, thank you, Phyllis. Now, I look at that, Phyllis, and we thank you for reading it for us. But it, it sounds to me there's a celebration going on here. Do you see that? I mean, they're crying hallelujah. Much people are doing that. Um, hmm. They're praising God because His judgments are righteous. But notice this. They're praising God because He's finally judged the great whore. He's avenged the blood of his servants. And John says, they also again said, Hallelujah. Rejoicing that God finally fulfilled his promise. His wrath was poured out upon all the ungodly. Now Marvin, you made a comment a while ago uh, about God not being cold-hearted. 
Isn't it true God warned him before this happened? Over and over and over and over again. So God's not cold-hearted. He sent those different plagues, and you read about them, and several occasions, that, and yet they said they didn't repent and come to God. So there's going to come a day. We just read in, in Revelation 19, there will be a, a great rejoicing among the saints because God is going to vindicate his majesty. And in order to do that, he will have to exercise his awful dominion. He will magnify his justice and he will overthrow everyone who stands against him. Psalm 130, verse 3. What's, what question is the psalmist asking there? If you count our iniquities, if you count our sins, the question is, who shall stand? No one. None of us could. Psalm 1, verse 5. Yeah, no one can stand. Interesting, you know, the night when Christ was arrested, before he was arrested, he he went out to pray. You remember that story? How hard did he pray? Yeah, I, I don't think he really bled. He may have, I won't debate that, but the sweat, the sweat dripped off like a great... I mean, he was, ag- he was agonizing. And I, and I want you to realize Christ was agonizing over the thought that God would mark the iniquities of his people. Go to verse 33, Mark 14. Now, again, was Jesus man or was he God? He was both. And, and I would say that he wasn't looking forward to the pain of the, of the cross. But how many know that he realized the battle that took place on Calvary? The battle for souls of people like you and I. The sin that God so hates. And he agonized because he realized he had to do it. He had to do it. Look in Hebrews 5, 7. Yeah, you're right. Now, I find it kind of interesting. I don't know why God's Word amazes me. Now, again, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but it's God's Word. And he's talking about some the days in the, in, when Christ was in the flesh, when he offered different prayers and supplications, strong crying with tears. What's he talking about? There in the garden. The agony that Christ had. And we read in Mark's Gospel, he was amazed and very heavy. His awful agony, his sweat dropping down like drops of blood. His Hebrews said his strong cries and and supplications. And we know he repeated, if it be possible, what? Let this cup be taken away from me. Let it be taken away from me. And then on Calvary... The pain was so intense, not just the physical pain, but the spiritual pain. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't know that God did, but it felt like he did. Like Jesus. That's the pain and agony he was going through. (laughs) So because of Jesus, because he took our suffering, our sins. 
we can now stand before God. So who can stand before God? Only those who have been born again. Only those who have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think you'll agree with me. I am so thankful for the day I ran to Jesus for refuge. I needed a hiding place. I needed a rock that was higher than I. I needed a sure foundation. And Jesus Christ was that foundation. I like what one theologian said, and we're done. He said, when I consider how the goodness of God is abused by the greatest part of mankind, I cannot but be of his mind that said, the greatest miracle in the world is God's patience and his bounty to an ungrateful world. Isn't that true? John said he came to his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave the right, the authority, the power to become to the son, become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. My friend, that is grace. Amen. Next week, Lord willing, going to be it's going to be in the same vein, if you will, I guess, and we're looking at the Godhead. But we're going to take some time and to consider some of these things. Just kind of let them simmer in our minds, if you will, to contemplate them. And I want to tell you, folks, just beyond we can wrap our mind around. Lord, wouldn't that be next week? Oh, that's.